Hey, Morgan here. I just wanted to let you know that this interview was done a few months ago, and uh, towards the end of it, there is some sound of construction in the background. Uh, so did my best to take that out, but hopefully it doesn't bother you too much. So thank you for your patience there. Thank you for listening. Uh, the music is Circle K by King and Queen of the Losers. If you're listening to this through Patreon, thank you so much for being a Patreon subscriber. We really appreciate it. We also appreciate it if you can share it out or uh, use your social media to spread the word because this is a podcast made with love, but it's a podcast that also feels like it deserves more attention. It's a it's a pretty um, high self-esteem podcast, if you will. Here's the show. Hello and welcome to Women Travel, a podcast about the places women have been and the things they did there. Our guest today is a woman who traveled to a country in Southeast Asia that is less than a quarter the size of Texas. We're going to be talking about the home of Mount Everest, the country of Nepal, and Verena's experience there. Hello. Hi. <laughs> uh, and with me today is my co-host, Annika. Hi. <laughs> First of all, Verena, what attracted you to visit and work in Nepal? So I live in a pretty mountainous and outdoor-oriented community already. And a large, a disproportionate portion of my town has been to Nepal and has connections in Nepal, I think because of this outdoorsiness. And so I had heard a lot about other people going there and, you know, seen pictures of Mount Everest and all these mountains and everything. And at some point just kind of decided, you know, why not try and go there myself? And so I did. Okay. And what did you end up doing there? So I was volunteering in a Montessori school for four weeks while I was there. And uh, you taught English, is that correct? Um, sort of. I helped teach some of the older kids English in the sense that we were kind of there as a classroom support for the actual teachers. So we would keep an eye on the kids sometimes when the teacher had to step out or... Um, we would help them with their spelling or, you know, like make sure that they were uh, actually learning things um, and things like that. And then we did a lot of arts and crafts with the kids too, which was kind of fun. We, at one point we made snowflakes, like those paper cutout snowflakes. Um, and that was interesting because we had to first explain what snow was because, um, you know, when you think of Nepal, you think of the Himalayas and really high altitudes and there's snow in the Himalayas and at really high altitudes. And so you don't, or at least I didn't realize that Nepal isn't actually that high. Their mountains are really high, but where people live isn't. What would you say is the altitude of the area we, you were in? We were at, we were in a town or I guess a city that's whose altitude was around 2000 feet above sea level. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So not super high. And they're of course like pretty far South, you know, like right above India. And so it's pretty warm there. And mm -hmm. so it had, they, these kids and Montessori teachers had never experienced or witnessed snow before. 
and us, you know, not speaking any, um, any Nepali and them like speaking English, but not incredibly well. Um, us trying to communicate what snow was and, um, why, where we're from, like why you sometimes will make these cut out paper snowflakes. So that was an interesting experience and definitely kind of drove home, home the point of like, how hard it is to communicate sometimes with a language barrier. I don't think they ever actually understood what we were talking about. Um, but we made paper snowflakes and it was a lot of fun. So. <laughs> so did you, were you able to like show pictures on your phone or were you not like allowed? Uh, to have a I phone don't think or? we were that smart to realize that you could show <laughs> pictures on a phone. <laughs> so I am going to ask like, so a Montessori is kind of still a nuanced term. Can you kind of define how that teaching style is different? So I think what they understand or a Montessori school is different than what we typically would classify as a Montessori school. Um, what I, um, what it, it seemed to me what it, what that school was, um, was essentially kind of an accelerated learning school prior to going into like the public school system of Nepal. Um, so it was, it's like, it was a private Montessori and mo- I, th- I believe most of their Montessoris are focused on English teaching because English is like the second official language of Nepal. Yeah. So it was essentially like daycare, but they actually learn things, I guess. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. That was, my, that was my question. Like what's the age range of the students? Yeah. So the age range was like two years to five-ish years old yeah so definitely really pretty young kids then sometimes some of the kids like older kids would come after their school had finished um kind of just to have somewhere to go I guess instead of going home if their parents were working and things like that yeah so some background on Nepal um I did read online that Nepal was never colonized by any foreign country and I was and they had a a king until 2008 so I was just wondering what do you have any more details about I mean why was it I guess not colonized by any foreign country like I would imagine that India or China would try to get in there or what the story is yeah so India and or Nepal and India Nepal and China have had a pretty long tradition of good relationships and Nepal has made it even now has made it very much a priority to remain neutral in any Indian and Chinese conflicts um like right now with everything that's happening on the border with China and India I don't believe Nepal is involving itself at all <laughs> interesting so they're like this the Switzerland of the of the Europe. yes um yeah cool. or the switzerland of asia yes yeah yeah or at least yeah, at least in regards yeah, yeah, yeah. to india and china <laughs> i'm not sure how that necessarily relates to other countries around them but at least with those two like global superpowers they're very much neutral um it's definitely an interesting relationship between those in nepal and each of those two countries like with different open borders and agreements with what citizens how long citizens of nepal can be in china and or india without like needing a visa or i think a lot of nepali uh, people work in india um and things like that so um 
But yeah, no, Nepal was never colonized, not for a lack of trying, especially by the British. Um, <laughs> Always the British. Yeah, so the British tried to colonize Nepal, um, but they were completely unprepared for the terrain of Nepal. So even though I did say that it's not all that high, they do still have large mountains. Um, just, you know, some of the tallest mountains in the world. Just a few. The British were not prepared for that. And (laughs) (laughs) didn't see that coming. Which I don't know how they didn't because they're really tall mountains and it's kind of hard to hide, but whatever. Um, yeah, so they were not well. They just thought it was clouds. It was just I a mean, whole bunch of clouds they're over pretty here. tall, so Look maybe. Yonder, us, <laughs> strange triangles in the foreground. What is this? But yeah, so they never successfully colonized Nepal, and they were met by this um, group of Gorkha forces that was. Tell me um, more. I yeah. <laughs> I should have done a little bit more reading on this. It's not entirely sure to me, <laughs> okay. clear to me what um exactly where these Gorkha fighting forces actually came from. I believe they were their own um from their own like little region in Nepal. And so these this group of fighters was so successful in fighting the British that eventually they just kind of declared it a stalemate and the British kind of left um and to this and India was like okay we're taking notes (laughs) no 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 I think that was a good strategy for keeping the British out and but once they had their foothold they had to resort to hunger strikes but so nowadays the British army um, has a Gorkha regiment so Nepali men can undergo this absolutely crazy series of trials where I think it's they have to like run through the mountains and they have to like make it like a crazy distance in a really short amount of time and like they have to do like hand-to-hand combat and a bunch of other crazy stuff and if they pass those trials and they get to be part of the British military in, like, the Gorkha elite fighting unit. And so Nepali troops have fought in, like, almost every major world conflict war thing since, I think, World War Two, as part of the British Army. Um, and it's this huge Damn. honor to make it into that and... You know, like, you get paid really well, and it's a huge status symbol, too, for your family and all those those guys that make it. Um, so, yeah. That is really cool. Today I learned something. Awesome. <laughs> that is kind of, like, a culture question that I was going to ask you as well Is so there are currently 30 million, or roundabout, uh, 30 million people living in Nepal, the country, and they can't all be Sherpas. Yes. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> taking people up Mount Everest. So I was wondering, like, so there's the um, Gorkin... Gorkin? Gorka. Um, Gorka millet as, as an adjective, I guess it would be Gorkin. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Grammar's hard. So there's the Gorkin military. Uh, there's, um, I'm sure, a Sherpa industry, but it's probably not extensive. Um, she's dealing with a cat. Um, 
And so I was wondering, like, what are people, what, what kind of industries are in Nepal? I mean, there's basically everything that you would find in other countries. Um, tourism is a huge industry. Um, that's definitely how a lot of people make their money, especially in Kathmandu and Pokhara, which is a city that I was in. It's the second biggest city in Nepal. Um, yeah, so tourism's huge. And then, of course, you know, there's teaching and military and government and driving buses and you know all sorts so of like, things it's like city industry yeah, kind of like you know pretty normal yeah. i think um i just think it's important to talk about like you know people have stereotypes of places and it's like actually there's you know a lot going on here yeah no and the sherpas too are really an ethnic group of people and they oh. mostly are in the everest region um of nepal and yeah so sherpa is isn't a job it's a people oh Um, and it just so it just happened to be that these sherpa people were in that area of nepal and those then just happened to be the people who were working with these western climbing expeditions and so that then ended up becoming um what we call that occupation but it really you know the occupation should actually be called porters or um climbing support teams versus sherpa which is really an ethnic group of people not a job description that's so fascinating to me (laughs) like i want to hear more about it um but where you were specifically did you feel like you got a good sense of uh, nepalese culture or um well, I'm kind of curious about any foods in particular, but yeah, how would you describe that culture? Yeah, so it's very, the majority of Nepali are Hindu, and that definitely um, plays a big role in their lives and their day-to-day activities. So we, my friend and I that I was in Nepal with, uh, we stayed with a host family for those four weeks. And it was kind of an interesting dynamic because they didn't speak any English at all. Oh. We didn't speak any Nepali. Mm-hmm. And so we would communicate via Google Translate, oh, essentially. cool. Like, we would type something into Google Translate and then hit, like, convert to Nepali. And it would spit out this thing. And I have no idea how accurate it was. Mm. Absolutely no clue. And so we would essentially just, like, show it to our host mom and be like, ha-ha, like, <laughs> this is what we want. And then some, usually she would just kind of nod or something and smile. And, um, But, yeah, so they mostly left us alone for the most part. I think partially because we couldn't communicate all that well with each other. Um, but we still, you know, like, we saw her go through like her religious practices every day and her host dad took us with him to a hindu temple um which was really cool what's an example of of a religious a hindu religious practice or something that you would do like in the morning or something like that i i wish i could tell you more but because we didn't like understand what was happening mm, okay. like I couldn't like because we couldn't communicate with them I don't know exactly what 
she was doing. Yeah, like you can you saw actions being made, but you didn't know exactly what the symbolism meant. Exactly, of this kind of thing. Okay, was it? Yeah, kind of like do you know? Was it almost similar to like prayers or? Like, silent reflection. Yeah, it definitely seemed like prayer and reflection. And then um, she had this shrine, essentially, just a small little shrine in their kitchen um, that would get folded up during the day and then opened up when she was doing her prayers or um, whatever she was doing. So we saw that side of things, but unfortunately, you know, didn't really get a good sense of what actually went into that and the finer, finer points of Hinduism. I'm kind of curious, were you personally interested in learning more about like a, I guess a religious exchange of knowledge or was that just lower priority for you? That was definitely lower priority for me. I definitely went into my experience in Nepal with this idea that Nepalese people are primarily Buddhist, which oh. I learned they are not. <laughs> but um, because the the Buddha was born in southern Nepal, oh yeah, way back when, um, and so Buddhism is definitely very prevalent in Nepal, and a lot of the tourist attractions in Kathmandu and other places are these Buddhist temples and Buddhist shrines, and those are oftentimes these white domes with these golden spires on top of them, which, as far as photography and sharing things on social (laughs) media and things, are definitely much more impressive. And so I think just seeing that and not having done all that much of my own research into the culture, like, before I went or before I then, like... Immediately before I went, I did a lot more research and read mm-hmm. read about stuff. And so by then I knew that the majority of Nepal was Hindu. Um, but as I was starting to think about going to Nepal, I definitely had this picture of like a bunch of about people primarily who were Buddhist in my mind. Um, and so I was interested in sort of that aspect of it, especially because in my town, there's definitely a more visible Buddhist culture than hindu culture um yep but definitely i would agree (laughs) yes (laughs) there are lots of prayer flags which are also slightly problematic and religious appropriation um especially if you're not if you aren't aware of the significance of those and just hang them up because you think they're cool and you're a dirtbag and dirtbags do that so (laughs) you should do that (laughs) Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so I was really interested in like that and in, in Buddhism. Um, and I, I feel like we should do another episode where we just talk about Bozeman. Like, <laughs> I, oh my gosh, it's such a weird community. <laughs> such a weird community. I, I'd be down for listening to any of this. <laughs> I've lived here for 22 years. I have so many opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I met someone today and, uh, they were like, they'd said that they just moved here from Bozeman and I was like, oh, cool. What kind of like extremely dangerous sport did you pick up? Because that's just the thing. It is. Everyone who lives there is just encouraged <laughs> to take some, like, life-threatening sport uh, and invest. Yeah, it's not a healthy... <laughs> it, well, it, it's, like, theoretically, it's a healthy adver- environment because, yay, outdoors, fresh air, physical activity. But then you get to, the, like, the far end of the spectrum. It's like, oh, you know three people who died in avalanches this year? Oh, man. <laughs> Classic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
that brings me to my next question, which was like you were featured you were featured in our previous episode, Women in the Wilderness, and um, I had you talking about backpacking. Were you able to do much of that in the region that you stayed in? I did one small trip. That was not the focus of our trip to Nepal, and so was it Everest. Was it the Everest trip? Oh, yeah, I did it... Everest in just a yeah. short little trip. <laughs> no, no biggie. It was just a little weekend, yeah. Okay. No, I did not go to Everest. I did not see Everest because that is not in the part of Nepal that I was in. Um, my friend said that she thinks that she saw Everest out of the plane window as we were flying into Kathmandu. Um, I was okay. on the other side of the plane and also asleep, so I did not see it. <laughs> so I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's so it's a 12 hour time difference to Nepal. Almost exactly. It's 11 hours and 45 minutes, which I don't understand where the 45 minutes come in, comes in. Like, do, don't time zones change on the hour? Generally? It might be like the tilt of the axis or something that changes the time a little bit. Oh boy. I don't know, but it was 11 hours and 45 minutes, which if you round up, it's 12 hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I was absolutely exhausted. And we had like a 14 hour flight from San Francisco, San Francisco to Guangzhou, China. And then another like six hour flight from Guangzhou to Kathmandu. And I was like, our plane didn't leave San Francisco until after midnight. Like, it was delayed by, like, an hour for some reason. And so I was trying so hard to stay awake on that flight. Because I was like, okay, it's 11 o'clock in America. It's 11 a.m. in Nepal. I gotta work on getting used to the time. Like, I'm gonna try and stay awake as long as possible. I stayed awake for exactly, like, 45 minutes on that flight. and passed out. Yep. And then, like, woke up, like, a couple hours later and then tried to stay awake really hard. And then I, like, fell asleep in the airport again and then fell asleep almost the entire flight to Nepal. So I did not do well. (laughs) But, you know, your heart, you had the heart and the spirit and you were really gung-ho for getting rid of jet lag. Um, So I'm impressed. Yeah. (laughs) I felt like garbage after that flight. (laughs) But, yeah. Yay! So anyway, um, yeah. uh, backpacking. Um, yeah. Yes. So I went on one, one short trip. And so we went, our trip to Nepal was for the entire month of July and the first little bit of August. And this was last summer, right? This was summer of 2017. So okay. three three summers ago. And... Because our primary focus of the trip was not to do trekking, these like, you know, these cool fun trips in the Himalayas, like that wasn't our original intent, Mm -hmm. we didn't really look into it. And so when we got there, we met up with another, some other volunteers that we met while we were there and found this three-day trekking trip through, um these like mountains and rainforest jungles rice paddy area Mm -hmm. um just outside of pokhara and on that trek we learned that most people when they want to do trekking in nepal will generally do it in the spring or in the autumn not in the summer and not in the winter okay because they get monsoons in the summer 
And so it is very hot, very humid, very rainy, and very cloudy. I think we saw the sun three three or four times. Like, the actual sun. Like, it was mm-hmm. kind of sunny through the clouds once in a while, but, like, the actual sun didn't come out except for three or four times. We saw blue sky, like, twice. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good to know. So... That was one of, that's one of the reasons that no one really treks in the summer. Another reason that we found out is that because of this rain and the cloud and the humidity and everything, um, there are leeches in Nepal. Mm. Mm. Oh, no. Protein. So, okay, I'm not scared of many things, but leeches get me. And like, like, every when time. When you think of leeches, at least what I thought of leeches, my poor naive self Mm. is like oh leeches will be fine leeches are only in lakes right (laughs) false they just hang out in the jungle everywhere and they would like crawl up our shoes and get they would like bite us through our socks what and then like, some of them managed, and I am still in shock to this day, and I don't know how they did this, like, crawl through the mesh in our no. shoes and, like, Hard attach no. to our feet. That happened less frequently, but it did happen. <laughs> and sometimes they would fall from above you, <laughs> from the trees and onto you. If you brushed against a bush, you had to be careful that you didn't actually also take a leech friend with you. <laughs> they were... Literally everywhere. That is my nightmare. You could look at the ground and you would see leeches. Wait for it. Just like wait for it. Drop. Yeah. <laughs> and so at some point, like after the first day, we didn't. Okay, first of all, on the first day, we didn't know that there were going to be leeches. We didn't realize that there were leeches until our guide at some point was like, after it had started pouring that afternoon. So we were all drenched. We hadn't eaten anything all day because we were told that we were there were going to be tea houses on the way that we shouldn't pack food. The entire first day, we didn't find any tea oh, houses. No. Oh, so we're no. wet, we're cold, we're hungry. We'd been hiking for like the entire day up this giant mountain. Um, and then our guide's like, oh, by the way, you might want to check your ankles because there are leeches. And then part of me, the naive part, was still like, oh, I haven't seen any. I haven't felt anything bite me. I don't have leeches on me. I roll down my sock and there are just, my ankles are covered in leeches. I hate this. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I wish our people could see Morgan just absolute revulsion. Like the physical reactions we're getting from Morgan is amazing. Just absolutely get me. And like I was in, um, I was hiking as a kid and like we found like leeches just like someone noticed that there were leeches in the water. And so everyone else freaked out and like I've just never gotten over it. And that's like the nightmare of having one drop from the sky is just gets me right to the core. <laughs> Yeah. So thanks. I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. Anytime. You know, I'm just here to help. Um, Is there anything else you wanted to add there, or can I change the topic? (laughs) Spread nightmare. (laughs) 
Um, we had a great time <laughs> trekking. Other than that, we saw mountains. That was the only time we saw the Himalayas on that entire trip was on this trek. Yeah, because it's a whole chain, right? Um, yeah. So the Himalayas are like a, this massive thing of mountains that spans multiple countries. Um, and the part that we were in was not like the, the chain of like sub part of the Himalayas that Everest was in because we were far away. But this is like the Annapurna range area of the Himalayas. And so we saw those mountains briefly through the clouds um, one morning on our trek. That sounds pretty cool. So word word to the wise, don't trek in Nepal in the summer. Spring or fall? Do that when there's better weather and less leeches. (laughs) Quick, Quick question. Did past you know how to pack for monsoon hiking? Like, did you have the proper clothes or... I had... I had rain gear. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I had rain gear and an extra change of clothes. And a pack cover for my backpack. So, what what advice would you give people who are going to hike in monsoon season of Nepal? Don't. Just pass on that. Well, and I was going to say is, like, if someone could have warned you, like, maybe warned you several times, but you wouldn't have known because, no, like, looking up the Nepali word for leeches, um, I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. Mm-mm. Or they're like, haha, these dumb white people want to hike the monsoon. Well, let's go. Sacrifice to the mountain gods. <laughs> That's probably what it was. And honestly, I think if someone had told me, I probably would have just brushed it off and been like, ugh, leeches, how bad can they be? Turns out really, really, really bad. (laughs) So bad. Um, (laughs) But I think a big part of it, too, is just having a mindset of being okay with rain and being cold and wet, potentially. And, like, it was a great hike. I had a great time. There were just elements of it that were yeah, less great. Well, because in your description, you said that, like, you weren't able to eat throughout the day. And I was like, well, I would have, nope, I would not have been a fun camper Mm-mm. to have. Like, yeah. if I can't eat every couple of hours, I get very yeah. cranky. That was only so. the first day, though. The other days were f- just fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> Your temperament is phenomenal, and I aspire to be as calm as you, Verena. Were you ever inspired to eat the leeches, though? I mean... Absolutely not. Oh, okay. No! They're so... Oh! It's like all the bad parts of, like, slugs and snails and worms, and it's just not good. We tried to step on one once that we found at a tea shop, and it just wouldn't die. (laughs) They're, they're nature's evil sponges. Yeah, the only good thing about leeches, though, is that they don't aren't known to transmit any diseases. Oh, fantastic. Like mosquitoes or ticks. So that's great. Wait. I don't know. Can they transmit, like, a- HIV AIDS? Couldn't tell you. <laughs> they don't, I guess they're, they don't serve as a known common, like, vector, like... Mosquitoes can spread malaria and West Nile and yellow fever and dengue and tons and tons of other terrible things. Um, and ticks can spread Lyme disease and Rocky Mountain spotted fever and other things as well. So I looked it up. Yeah. It says scientists have found HIV and hepatitis B viruses and wild leeches in Africa, but it wasn't confirmed cases of transmission. So it's a potential. Okay. But not confirmed. 
wondering, like, so did your guide have anything like wraps or something that he had on or like metal socks or <laughs> like, like little little soccer shields or something? What I ended up doing was tucking. So I had the, the luck of having taller socks and long pants. And so I would tuck the bottoms of my hiking pants into my socks and that helped a lot because then I like couldn't bite through both my pants and my socks. Got it. So it's about like density, yes. <laughs> density of layers. Um, but our guide, she had these pouches of salt in wrapped in cloth that was supposed to work. I don't think it actually worked that much. I think in theory, if you sprinkle salt on a leech, it won't be happy and it might leave. But I think in all actuality, you're better off just plucking them off. Okay, yeah. Of you. I I hear you. I hear your logic. (laughs) What if you had citric acid in there? Because that's a dry solution. uh, Or like a... It's basically like salt. You can crumble it up like salt and then just kind of put it around... Uh, your ankles and stuff what if did you try citric acid you know we were fresh out of citric acid did you try burning them with chemicals (laughs) maybe why don't you just like put lemons in your socks Mm, delicious these seem like all great suggestions um might I suggest the physical barrier first? <laughs> so, so what you're saying is you're willing to go back to Nepal during monsoon season and trying out our theories for absolutely us. not for science. <laughs> not where I was going. With it's this. for, but Verena, it's for science. It's for science. You get another episode. It's for science. <laughs> That's actually when I came home. So both of my parents are PhD scientists. Oh, fabulous! Um, Bring this information to them. See what they say. <laughs> Okay, no, but when I came home from that trip and was hanging out with them and showing them my pictures and telling them about the leeches, my mom had all these questions for me. She was like, do they just, when they're full, do they just detach? Or like, how does that work? And what shape do they become when they drink your blood? And I was like, I don't know. I just pulled them off. (laughs) And she's like, oh, you should have watched them. Yeah, right? I was like, what? (laughs) Like that scientific brain kicks in. It's like, okay, I know. I know this is bad. Yeah. But I gotta know. Like, <laughs> yeah. So that would have been my mom, but that was not me at that moment. <laughs> so I actually do know that one. So uh, just like ticks, leeches will uh, just detach once they're at full, uh, full capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely noticed that because then you would just start bleeding from places. Yeah. Because they that like, neat? put in this like anticoagulant so they can drink you better and then it just doesn't stop bleeding for sometimes hours so i really feel like we should change topics <laughs> like we have definitely been on this for too long what we we just don't want a 45 minute podcast about leeches Come not on. on this show um, <laughs> so hi welcome to the podcast where we study leeches and how they travel oh my god it would be like a murder like one of those murder podcasts but it would be like creatures that murder you yeah Yeah. i'd be in for that okay anyways sorry continue (laughs) um so something that i've been really excited to ask you about and um i i feel bad like changing the mood like so strong um but so the core of your trip 
was not on leeches. It was actually focused on volunteerism. Um, can you elaborate on what that means to you? Yeah, so volunteerism, I guess, starting at the general topic of volunteerism is essentially where usually you pay to go and volunteer your time while also being a tourist in an area. Um, and so for me, that was volunteering my time at this Montessori and being in a homestay, but then we would also have the evenings or weekends to go and do touristy things, um, or classically touristy things. And so, I mean, I, at Yellowstone, that's a pretty common thing as well, where people come and visit and they uh, kind of volunteer in those areas. And since we've both lived in Yellowstone and we're both aware of the impact that even the most well-meaning tourists can cause, um, what do you think is a means of giving back to places as you visit them rather than um, you know, continuing exploitation? So did you think that this was... I'm going to restate that. Um, did you think that this form of volunteering uh, was productive and, and kind of helped helped give back rather than um, just exploiting a place for the things that it has? Um, no. I... No. <laughs> I Fantastic. I love honesty. <laughs> I mean, I had a great time. Um... And I definitely learned a lot about the culture and about myself, and I really enjoyed being there, but I, do, I don't think I brought any sort of contributions or help or anything to that community. Hey, 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 you, you taught the kids how to make snowflakes, okay? That, that's a huge contribution. Uh, yeah, but I don't know if I t- was able to communicate what snow was. <laughs> well, they have pretty crafts now. Um... Yeah. But yes, because um, there is such a, um, when you go to a place and say, that, like I used Yellowstone as an example, where you go to Yellowstone and you look at the hot pots and you're like, that's neat. Um, but you can't help but acknowledge that just by being there, there is somewhat of a negative impact because humans are around um, animals that don't want humans to be there. Um, and so for a place like Nepal... Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, more productive ways to, to give back to a place or what would be kind of a better alternative in your opinion? I honestly think kind of just fessing up and being a normal straight, like normal ass tourist is a better way to go because then at least you're not necessarily interacting with more vulnerable populations like kids ages two to five like I did well now I gotta ask like were was it really the program or like are you just maybe not a kid person because I don't think I would enjoy doing the kind of volunteering that you did because I know I'm not a kid person was it maybe just more centralized or personal no I think I really enjoyed interacting with the kids um and I I had a great time like I enjoyed myself but looking back at it now, I don't think it was a productive use of my time or necessarily like even like an ethical use of my time because hmm. like you're, I think especially, and I think a Montessori school is less 
problematic than an orphanage because you're interacting or I was interacting with kids who have fairly stable home lives but if you are volunteering in an orphanage and you're interacting with kids who already come from suboptimal conditions and actually the majority of kids in orphanages in the so-called developing world or the less affluent world are the only a minority of those kids actually are orphans the vast majority of them are just in orphanages because of the they can offer the kids a better home than their parents could and so their parents surrender them rather than keeping them in a more you know an environment where they have their parents and are with a family just because of like the the food that they can potentially get that their parents would be able to provide to them which yes theoretically is great but then if you think of a volunteer paying maybe a thousand dollars to this program to go and volunteer with this orphanage when instead maybe they could have just donated those one thousand dollars and that could have gone a lot further than them just going there because they think that they need to have this experience instead of thinking about what's actually going to be most helpful for their community, for that community. So I think a lot of volunteerism is done with, with a want to give back for sure. Like I think most people who do that sort of volunteering and that sort of tourism aren't going for it and thinking, Oh, like I care more about myself than anyone else. And like, I just want to feel good about myself. But I think like, that's what it is at the heart that most people don't necessarily actually consider what sort of impact they're having on those communities. Um, Yeah, and it's something that I've thought about a lot since my trip, and it's been kind of hard to come to terms with the fact that I, that what I did probably wasn't good, and I would not do it again. Um, If I were to go back to Nepal, it would be as a normal tourist, and I would, you know, own up to the fact that I'm a tourist and you know, being a tourist isn't always bad. A lot of these communities, the most of their economic livelihood comes from tourism and the tourism industry, like Yellowstone, like Bozeman thrives off of tourism. That's a huge part of our economy. And as much as we love complaining about the Californians and the tourists who come and spend time in in our community, we still need them for it to be the community that it is. And that's the same in other areas that thrive off of tourism, like Nepal. But then there's a difference between, you know, like people coming to Yellowstone and wanting to volunteer and give back because they think that that's going to make them feel better and that's going to be a better form of tourism. When instead, all they're really doing is putting like themselves and more wildlife at risk of, you know, not living the life that they're meant to live or they're just taking resources away from the park rangers who have to spend their time supervising these tourists who are posing as volunteers instead of doing their actual jobs. And whereas, you know, if you're paying a thousand... Doing the thing that they spent years training to do. Yeah. So it's... It's definitely not, it was definitely wasn't easy for me to like come to terms with the fact that I don't think that what I did was good, but it's definitely giving me a new perspective on how I want to continue to 
interact with the world and communities that have different cultures and different backgrounds than me. Wow. So I have a quick, quick question that that goes along with this frame of mind. Sorry, this is I've been thinking about it for like the last five minutes. I really want to get out there. So when you were doing your volunteerism, did you go through a company or did you like search the the monastery for yourself? Like, did you find like where to volunteer or did you have someone else like set up the? No, we went through you? a company, um, and so we essentially chose where we wanted to be and what we wanted to do. Um, and then we were placed in a homestay and then placed at a Montessori. Okay. Cause I'm just thinking like, I think you did have good intentions, but I'm wondering if the company like kind of swindled you out of money based on like the advertisements they gave you or the packages. So like, would you say like to go through a company that can give you this, this experience or would you say rather like go out on your own? I would say do neither of the above, honestly. Um, I think it's better to go out on your own because then you are having a more individualized impact and then hopefully you you are communicating with the organization that you're going to be volunteering with directly about what their needs actually are and if they actually like really want you there. And then there's but then, like, through a company, you have a lot less control over what's going on and everything. And oftentimes those companies are actually catering more to the tourism side than the volunteering side oftentimes. Um, the one that I was was definitely more focused on the volunteering than the tourism. But that doesn't necessarily make it any, le- any less problematic. Yeah, because I was thinking how you were saying, like, it would be better for you to just take the $1,000 and just, like, give it to the orphanage or the organization. So I'm wondering if, like, the companies that you go through if they take a commission out of that like volunteer prices oh they definitely do i mean they have staff that they have to pay to do the placements and work for them and everything um and i have no idea how much of my money potentially went to the homestay to pay for food and everything i have no idea how much might have actually gone to the montessori was not able to find that out um and they're definitely better companies out there than others they're definitely ones that do it more sustainably with communities and actually have more community partners um and give you a better experience but i think too there's a problem with like this concept of white saviorism of going in and volunteering in communities even if you're doing it on your own um and it's also I just think, like, these communities aren't, like, these backwater places that have no idea what's going on and need Western guidance to function. Like, they've been functioning for a long time, and things have gotten a lot better for a lot of these communities in recent years. And so what they, I think, oftentimes, what they really need is someone to support them, rather than someone to do the work and... provide a service like they and there's also this also thing about volunteers or volunteerists coming in and doing work that instead could have gone to a local person so like these volunteers are taking jobs away from communities potentially um based off of that logic it's almost like 
like, oh, hey, I want to support this country and I want to support this community. Um, I'm going to just spend a lot of money on stuff, like local stuff. Um, and like, that's kind of, I mean, it is kind of like not, not, not donating. I confused myself. Hold on. <laughs> 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 that kind of thing where you're like, be the tourist, go to the, the local places, uh, spend money on the local food and the, um, little souvenirs that you like, um, or things, you know, and just be a conscientious tourist, um, who looks for sustainable things, who looks for local venues, but, um, that's what I'm hearing is kind of the maybe better solution is just like you said, like own up to it and be the tourist because that actually does provide more commerce and jobs. Is that, do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. And there are better ways to be a tourist and worse ways to be a tourist. Um, but yeah, I think just being straight up and being like, yeah, like I'm here to see things and I'm here to see the culture and spend money on touristy things. Like that's great. You are supporting the local economy. Look <laughs> at you go. I got, yeah. Like, cause something that seems interesting to me is like, cause I did look into a similar programs, um, a couple years ago and, and something that kind of pulled me away from it was, yeah, like I want to go to this place. I want to see things. Um, when you're working, you're less able to do those things. And I was just wondering if did that pull away from your personal experience at all? Or was it all, all groovy? Um, we, I mean, we took, we had the weekends off. And so we would spend the weekends like exploring the area and wandering around the town and things like that. And we went on the three day trek. And then on one weekend, we took a bus, which the buses in Nepal are one of the worst things I've ever experienced. Um, yeah. Anyway, we took a bus to the birthplace of the Buddha in Lumbini and spent the weekend down there, like, wandering around these grounds that have all these different Buddhist temples from all these different nations around the world, which was really cool. So on, on the weekdays, were you kind of like frustrated at all that you can't go do tourist stuff that was kind of not really I mean again like I wasn't we didn't go there with the idea that we were gonna be tourists constantly like we were aware that we were during the week we were gonna be at the Montessori um and then maybe like go down and like meet up with some friends other volunteers like in a restaurant for dinner and then come back to our homestay um and then we we also spent took the last so we we volunteered for four weeks but we were there for five and a half weeks total and so we took that last week and a half to like do touristy things finishing up that what i was gonna say is that i'm really impressed by like the amount of bravery it takes to admit that you know you had previously been ignorant about certain things about this trip and um i'm really impressed by your ability to reflect and um, I think that really shows uh, that you have such a beautiful heart, Verena. Like, <laughs> um, it's fantastic. Um, and then I wanted to ask, uh, you kind of skipped over the food questions. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> what kind of food? <laughs> yeah, no, the food was interesting. It was something I had to get used to at first because they primarily, they'll eat one thing for both breakfast and dinner and they don't really eat lunch 
So they eat something called dal, which is also very common in India, which is basically just a lentil dish, like a kind of a lentil stew type type thing. Um, typically with um, rice, right? Yeah. So they'll put that on rice and then um, oftentimes they'll have little side dishes of like a little bit of like curried chicken or um some veggies and things like that like cucumbers um and it was a kind of a lot to get used to at first I did not like it at first but I also don't know if it's just because I didn't like the first doll that I ever had because then the first doll that I had was at this hotel guest house in Kathmandu when we first flew in and then when we went to our host mom's, her doll was the absolute best. It was so good. It was so good. Um, and she had all these different little like side things that she would serve, like on like a rotating schedule with yes. the doll. And they were so tasty. Um, but yeah, so that's the main thing they eat is doll for breakfast and dinner. Uh, and they have other things too, but... Yeah, that's most of what they eat is this doll. And they have a saying called doll um doll bot is twenty four hour power. Um so that's that's all they need. I love that. Um <laughs> but then there are also other dishes like um Momo, which are these Tibetan dumplings, which are so good. Yeah. And then like Tukpa, which is a Tibetan noodle soup and they yeah, drink a lot of tea, like it's a black chai-ish tea, um, and then oftentimes with milk, and they will call that milk tea. So, yeah, we definitely have some had some really good food. Um, it was definitely a little spicier than I was used to, but I could eat everything, except this one time at the Montessori, they would feed us like an afternoon snack with the kids, and. One of those snacks was this puffed rice salad that had like some veggies in it and stuff and this puffed rice and then also like chopped up peppers. And that was the one thing that was too spicy for me to eat. I was like trying to eat it, trying so hard. And at some point I just couldn't, like I was in tears. My nose was all snotty. Like my mouth was on fire. I was just like sitting there in the corner like, oh man, like I gotta Aww. hold it together. I can't like, break down in front of all these people. And then these two to five-year-old kids around me are just shoveling it in their mouths totally fine. And I'm dying. <laughs> oh, no. But. <laughs> so that's really, that's how they do it, is they start, start them young with super spicy yeah, stuff. start them young. Okay. <laughs> um, fantastic. Uh, thank you, Verena, so much for joining us. Um, that's all my questions, Annika, if you have. Hmm? 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 No, I think you answered them all fantastically. Um, Yeah, like I said, I'm really impressed by your reflections, and I am truly grateful for your honesty. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's a lot of fun. One plus one plus one plus one is four. When you get out, would you please lock the door? We're totally lost. I've seen this place before. Call a doctor if it lasts four hours or more. Take a selfie with the western sky. Hand me the vizine. My eyes are feeling dry. 
Next time, why don't we just fly? Be careful, Dad, our roaming charges may apply. 